of this series that we've been doing called Binge Reading the Bible. All right, we've been talking about for now, I think this will be week no... <coughs> okay, I'm so sorry. All right, I've, I literally am just getting... Anybody still have recovering their voice for those of you that went to camp last week? My gosh, hold on. I need to get something to drink. I'm, I'm really thirsty. I literally, for days, I was... Oh, here it is. I had... Uh, I've just been struggling just to be able to talk and... You guys are, all right, when you're thirsty, what's your favorite thing to drink? So maybe it's water, juice, pink lemonade, pink lem- pink lemonade. any Kool-Aid fans? Kool-Aid fans, I would, lo- wait a minute, I know I had one, hold on, let me see. I wanted to have something like this, so I had my packet. Y'all good? I didn't. Okay. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Binge reading the Bible, week nine. That's where we're at. We have been looking, we have been looking at this concept in binge reading the Bible because the reason why we bring it up is because you'll admit if you're a Christian, unfortunately, too many Christians do not binge on the Bible. They don't read it. And we talked about all the excuses that they give, which are, you know what, a lot of them are, are understandable. They maybe don't read it all because they don't understand it all. I get it. There's certain sections that are a little harder to process than others. So we skip over certain sections. We don't binge on all of it. Or we might have heard some misconceptions, some things that somebody said, or you can't trust it. It's been translated so many times that you don't know what it's originally said, which by the way, all is a lie because every single word, regardless of our translations that we have today, is actually, we know what it is because we have the originals. We have the original Hebrew and the Greek text to help us know what it is. And so we understand for a lot of different reasons why people don't binge on the Bible. But we've been talking about the nece- how, how important it is. And one of the things that we wanted to clear up, and I'm gonna, this is like the last time I'm going to say it. I think some of y'all probably got sick of me saying it by now because I've been saying it for almost 10 weeks. The Bible is not the foundation of our faith. What is? Thank you. Those of y'all know it. Listen, so for some of you that you might be new here, I'm like saying, wait, that sounds weird. What? You're Christians. How is the Bible not the foundation of your faith? Because it isn't. The foundation of our faith, Jesus said what the foundation was. Paul said, and so did the scriptures. It is the resurrection. The fact that Jesus rose from the grave is what validates this. We would not have a New Testament if it wasn't for the resurrection. We would not even have preserved the Old Testament if it wasn't for the resurrection. The resurrection, we have the Bible today and we believe, Christians believe, not because it was written. We believe because of who was risen. That's why we believe. Now, if the Bible is not the foundation of our faith, what is it? And that's what we've been talking about this whole series. The Bible works as fuel. It fuels our faith. It fuels our faith. So we've been talking about the backstory of so If you want to catch up, you can catch up in many different ways, and you can check online or the different ways. You can listen to it on YouTube through uh, my uh, little blog that I have, short sermon summaries or podcasts as well. But 
We've been talking about all the things that help us to better understand and motivate us and inspire us to binge on the Bible. So we talked about the backstory of the Bible, how we got the Bible. It's an amazing story. We also talked about why there's an old and a new. And why do we call the New Testament new when it's 2,000 years old, which is weird. You know, why, what is it? What is that all about? And why do we still keep the old if we're all about Jesus, which is in the new? We then we talked about, and we've been looking at all the categories. So those of you who know, if you've been with us for a couple weeks, we've been looking at every category that's in the Bible. All this one book has 66 books in it, 66 mini books that make up the Bible. And all of them are organized in categories. There's the books of the law, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. Then we have the books of history, covering a thousand years of Jewish history. The books of wisdom and uh, knowledge that we have there, poetry and all those wisdom books. Then we have the prophets. That's all the Old Testament. Then we've been looking at the New Testament, which is the gospels. Last week, we talked about the epistles, the letters that were written to the churches. And today on the last one, we're ending with the final category, the apocalyptic chapter the apocalyptic dun, 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 you know the apocalyptic books okay now this one's fun anybody really like this this category this topic is interesting about the end of the world and what's going to happen and you know right there's all those for I me mean, this can get crazy for a lot of different people i mean they get they love to read it and try to make all the connect oh that's oh i got it oh that's how it's going to be and they try to make all these crosses and dots and try to figure it all out but so today what's interesting as we cover the apocalyptic chapters i want you to know something it's the one category that you have books both in the old and the new. In fact, the Old Testament has apocalyptic chapters. They're in books like Daniel, Zechariah, Joel, and Amos. Okay, not famous Amos, not, not the cookie guy. There's a dude named Amos back in the day. Okay, Amos, he's in there. And uh, those are actual books that are considered apocalyptic, meaning that they cover events that are going to happen in the end times, in the future, that haven't happened yet. Now, then, in the New Testament, we have a few, like Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. That was one of the epistles we talked about last week. And then, obviously, the big daddy of them all, the last book in the Bible, Revelations, right? Revelations. Now, all of those, all of those, the reason why we have these apocalyptic books is not so we can show up in a war room and try to predict the future, okay? That's not necessarily what they're for. God has given us these apocalyptic books to pull back the curtain of the future and give us a glimpse of what the end looks like. And let me tell you what the end looks like. You ready? Jesus wins. Okay? Jesus wins. Game over. All right? Jesus wins. So here's why that is so important. Because we as believers, when we see the future and we see how it's going to play out, guess what? Now we know. That when we fight this fight of faith, we are not fighting in a place for victory. We are fighting from a place of victory. We have victory. We're on the winning side if you're a believer in Christ. You're on the winning team. Now, so, you know, we're not just running out. We're not playing prevent defense, all right? We're not just trying to see when's the clock going to go up because Jesus ran up the score on the devil, and he still is, okay? He ran up the score on them. But we're not called to let up. We're called to put our foot on his neck just a little more, all right? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to put some demons on the necks still, all right, and still run up the score even more. That's what we're called to do. But the beauty of the apocalyptic chapters, and I want you guys to take this, so if you ever want to read any of this, don't be, now, yes, there's things in it that help us to give us signs to know, hey, the end is near. When you see this happen, when you see this happen, when you see this happen, the end is near. Now, I'll tell you, I mean, I, I can't stand here and predict that, oh, this is the end of times that we're in right now. You know, I can't say that. But let me tell you, compared to most generations, compared to most generations, we can say a lot. We can say a lot compared to others. 
We can say a lot compared to others because of things that are happening and things that have happened. And so, but the goal of the big apocalyptic chapters, this is the point of it all. It's this. And we're going to look at one. We're going to look at the book of Daniel today. One little story in the book of Daniel that gives us an ability and gives us an understanding on how we are supposed to live in the present in view of the future. Listen, the reason why God gave us these apocalyptic books is so that you can have a glimpse of the future so you learn and know how to live your life better today. That's what those are for. And we're going to look at a, the book of Daniel in this one little story that sometimes this one little section that maybe gets overlooked sometimes. We kind of rush to some other cool things. And we're going to look at this one little one. Now, Daniel, if you don't know who Daniel is, Daniel was a Hebrew. This book Daniel wrote was written in the 6th century, okay, so about 600 B.C. And it was important because the whole book, the whole book of Daniel covers 70 years. Now, like we, if you were here when we talked about the Jewish history, the historical books, you know that at the end of the historical books, a thousand years of Jewish history, it ended in exile. The people were unfaithful to God. They wanted to live their way. They wanted to play God on Sunday and play with other gods every other day. And they, you know, that's what they were doing. They were mixing and matching. And they were living, it was a ritual. It was fake. It wasn't real. And so because of their unfaithfulness, they made a lot of poor choices and the consequences came back to bite them. Listen, the sin that always attracts you will eventually attack you. And that's what happened to them. That's what happens to us. So they sat and they were now exiled. Daniel was one of those that was taken exiled. He was captured with him and his friends, taken over to a new land in the Babylonian, in, in Babylon. And he was then asked, he was unique compared to all the others because he was a part of the nobility. And he was a part of this, you know, upper echelon, upper class kind of a group. And so him and the others were taken as slaves and they were forced into Babylonian servitude. They were going to no longer learn how to be Jewish. They were going to learn how to be Babylonians and work for the king. And so here, at this one moment, something happens. Something happens early on in their time. See, King Nebuchadnezzar had a bad dream. And he had a dream that shook him. Anybody else had a, you ever had a woke up from a dream that you were not sure if it was a dream or not? Like it was that real? You ever had one of those? You ever had a dream that was so real and you knew it was a dream and you were trying to wake yourself up from it? You have one of those, like, oh, wait, wait, like, wake up, wake up, you know, like, it's, you just know, those are crazy intense. See, King Nebuchadnezzar had a few in the book of Daniel, we see, and one of those was early on in chapter two. He had this dream that he, it shook him so much, and he woke up, and he goes to all his magicians and his sorcerers, and King Nebuchadnezzar says, I had a dream, not, you know, not my... Not MLK style, okay? You know, like, I had a dream. I had a dream. No, okay. Like, I had a dream. I had a dream, and it's bothering me, and I need one of you to tell me what it is. But you know what? I'm not in the mood to tell you what that dream was. You need to, talking to his magicians and sorcerers, you need to tell me what my dream was perfectly and then interpret it. If not, y'all gonna die. Dead. If you can't do it, you're gonna die. That's, I mean, talking about a map, by the way, anybody know, want to know how I did that magic trick a minute ago? Okay. Mateo, is it bothering you? Okay. Look, I, I had, uh, you couldn't see it. If you were close, you could see it. That cup that I had, I had a, um, I had a little bit of food coloring on the bottom. So when the water went in, it wasn't like water to wine scenario. I was like, no, I'm not doing that nonsense. Okay. But anyways, see, when I had that, there was a, you know, that you couldn't really see it. I was covering it a little bit. 
And you really couldn't tell that the food coloring is in there. Now, just because it wasn't there, just because you couldn't see it, does it mean it wasn't there? No. It was there. It was just hidden. It was hidden. And these apocalyptic books are there to help us. And we're going to look at this one in Daniel that's helping us to see because sometimes you can't see God. And you wonder, why can't I see God? But just because you can't see him doesn't mean he's not there. He's there. And so Daniel was about to do a, not a trick like this. And if there was a magic trick to do, could you imagine that? Doing what Nebuchadnezzar asked? He's like, I need you to interpret my dream. I need you to tell me what I dreamed, literally. Read my mind. Tell me what my dream was. And then tell me what it means or else I'm going to kill all of you. All of his magician's sources. Bro, he just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Okay, he was just don't cross him that day. He was upset. Daniel was one of those in the group. He was in one of those in the group. And he was one of those that if they didn't find not only the dream, but the interpretation, Daniel was going to die. And so here we're going to pick up the story. Daniel chapter two, verses 17 through 23. We're going to read them all. After hearing the news of the king's declaration to tell me my dream and interpret it or else you're going to die, look what happens. Then Daniel went to his house and he made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. By the way, if those of you who know some Bible, those three names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, same three guys, okay? So if you know that story, same three buddies. These, these were, uh, you know, the three musketeers plus D'Artagnan, this guy. They were all together, all right? Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, Daniel goes to the house where his buddies are, where his crew is, where his squad is, and here's what happens. And he told them what happened. He said to them, let us seek the mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions and his friends might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and now have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. So here we see God answers his prayers. And they go and they say, well, what is it? God not only reveals to Daniel, this is the dream king had, but now here's what it means. And so there's three things that you notice in the story. You see a petition, right? Just a review. You see the petition, you see a revelation, and you see praise. What was the first thing we saw? Petition, right? Right when Daniel found the news out, if we don't figure this out, we're going to die. You know what they didn't do? Panic. You know what they did do? Pray. They prayed. They chose to pray instead of panic. They realized, who knows what the other guys did? I wouldn't be surprised if the other ones were trying to find their way out of Babylon as soon as possible because they knew. In fact, they were begging him, King, how are you going to ask us of this, bro? We can't do that. If you tell us a dream, we'll interpret it for you. But who is able to tell you your own dream? How can anyone else dream someone else's dream? Figure it out. You won't die. All right, and that, was, that was it. He didn't care. But here, Daniel. Daniel didn't panic. Daniel and his friends didn't panic. What did they do? They prayed. 
Now, does it mean that, hey, does it mean that you are a sinner and not a good enough Christian if you have a moment of panic that you're freaking out, the panic is attacking you, right? If you ever have one of those, right? If you, can you, like, what do you do? Do you feel guilty? No, no, no. Please listen. If you find yourself at any moment panicking, let the panic drive you to prayer. You, can't, you catch me? Let the panic, don't feel guilty that you're feeling that. No, because we're all humans. I guarantee you, that's what he did. I guarantee you, Daniel was a little nervous. I wouldn't be surprised. And, and then he goes, and he goes, and they take the panic and turn it into prayer. Guys, how many, how many of us, I want you to think, how many times do we do the opposite? We ponder and we sit and wonder, trying to figure it out or just trying to find our way out. When we can just go to God. That's what God wants us to do with everything. Not panic about it. I try to figure it out. Listen, come to me. Bring it to me. We saw Daniel and his friends lifted up the petition. And what happened after the petition? The revelation. God pulled back the mystery. He pulled back and he showed them this is Dan Daniel. This is King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And not only that, here's what it means. There was the revelation that God answered their prayers. Now, I, I want you to know, wouldn't you love if God answered your prayers that quick? Would you love if God answered your prayers that quick? Yes or no? Okay, do you know that he does, though? He does. God always answers every prayer, every prayer, every time. He has three answers. His answers are yes, his answers are no, and it's maybe. Every single time you pray a prayer, it's always one of those three. Well, pastor, how do you know? Well, have you, have you received a yes? No. Have you received a no? No. It means you got to wait, bud. You got to wait. You got to keep going. You got to keep praying. Now's not the time. Now's not the time. You got to keep praying. You got to keep praying. Listen, God answers prayers all the time. He always does in those three. And in fact, we see throughout all of scripture, he tells us how to pray. And he tells us how he answers the kind of prayers that he always answers. The prayers that we were lifting up today, if you mean it sincerely, always answers them. He always answers a prayer for you to want to know him more. Always. Always. Because he wants that. That's a prayer that he will guarantee to answer every time. God, I want to know you more. God, use me to go to other people. Lord, I pray that the lost may be saved. All of those he prays. All of those he answers immediately. He wants to and does. God, may you be glorified. May you get the credit. May people be me. May you show off right now in the circumstance. God answers those prayers. He answers prayers according to his will. He answers every prayer according to his will. So how can you know the will of God? How do you know God's heart for you? Through the word of God. If you want to know God's will for your life, start by reading God's word for your life. That's a start. You know what? These guys, Daniel and his four buddies, his three buddies, do you know why they ran to God? It's because they had a personal relationship with this God. They had known, they had read and studied the scriptures. The, the, the law and the prophets, the one that we were talking about, which is really just the Old Testament. That's it. That was good enough for them. The Old Testament was good enough for Daniel. If it was good enough for Daniel, it should be good enough for us too. Think about that. And so they knew what God's heart was. And you know what? I, I know this, and we can see this in their heart. Why were they praying? Why were they wanting to pray? So they can save their skin, right? So they can not die? Yeah. There was some of that in there. But you know, we know that Paul, Daniel and his friend's hearts. We know because when you read all of the book, we know that the king, these guys wanted to serve the king. The king asked for something. They wanted to serve the king. And you know, you know what else? These guys not only were trying to save themselves, but Daniel said it. They were trying to save everybody else. They were trying to save everybody else. God honored Daniel's prayer because it wasn't a selfish one. 
God answered his prayer because it wasn't just, God, help me or I'm going to die. Help me or I'm going to die. Show up or I'm going to be, I'm in trouble. Like, it wasn't selfish. Do you know how I know it wasn't selfish? Because look at what they did right after. The second they got the revelation, what happened? They got the petition. They got the, they, they sent up the petition. They got the revelation. What did they then do? Praise. Do you, I mean, you know what that's like? You ever seen a game show, right, when, when the time is running low and the clock is right there it's going five, four, right? And, and you see they, I don't know, un- uncover something or it's like a race to the clock, right? You ever see people like that, whether it's, it's in a sporting game or, or in a, you know, game show, right, when it's a race to the clock. When you know that time is running short and you got the answer, you got what you need, what are you going to do? You're going to haul cheeks, right? You're just going to go. Right? You're going to go as fast as you can to get to where you want to go until you arrive to the destination. Bing, hit the, hit the buzzer right before it goes out. What did these guys do? Look, look, time was running out. Remember, the clock is running. You got King Nebuchadnezzar waiting, running down the clock, waiting to know when he's going to just take off everybody and kill them all. Daniel knew this. Daniel was up against the clock. But what did they do when they got the answer? When they got the answer, they didn't take off running to King Nebuchadnezzar to hurry up before he goes and sends the the soldiers to come get us. They paused and praised. That's what they did. They got the answer and they paused to praise God. They weren't afraid of that king because they they knew the king of kings. And they were like, you know what, I'm I'm going to give you some credit real quick. Hold on, Jesus, I'm going to sit in this. Thank you. Man, that he answered their prayers. They paused. They paused in order to praise God. That's how it tells me. That shows me where their heart was. They weren't afraid. If they were selfish, wanting to do this for their own life and to save themselves, they would have took off running and told the king super quick. But then when you read, and you know what else? When you read the accounts, you know what Daniel does? Daniel doesn't take the credit. Daniel was the only one. He tells king, hey, this was your dream, king. You had this dream, and this is what it looked like, and then this happened. And he was shocked. I'm like, oh, my gosh, somebody did it. And then, this is, let me tell you the interpretation. Do you know what Daniel didn't do? Take credit. Daniel didn't take credit. Every time he had an opportunity to show off who his God was, he said, yeah, you know what? You see what you, I, know, I know what I just did. I know you're seeing this in me, right? But you know what? It ain't me. Let me tell you, it's this God. It is the, the one true God. King Nebuchadnezzar, who gave you this dream, gave me this dream to interpret his dream so you can know who he is. See, that's how we know his heart. They were not, this was not selfish prayers. This was selfless prayers. So with that, we see, and Daniel wrote this and so many others. I mean, there's so many things in this book that are amazing. Those three friends that I mentioned a minute ago, not too much longer after this, they had a do or die scenario as well, where King Nebuchadnezzar, I don't know, he just got up in it again. I was like, you know what? I'm feeling like killing some people. All right. And so he goes, hey, y'all, if you don't worship now my statue, now I'm going to kill you. And everybody did it but these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he says, if you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you into this big Dutch oven. All right. This big thing there, and you won't die. You're going to burn in this fiery you know, in pit. And, and they said, listen, king, we serve only, we'll serve you all day, but you know what? We only live for the one true God. We're not going to bow down and worship you. We only worship one God. And we believe in this God. And if this God can deliver us, we believe he can. But if he doesn't deliver us, we're good with that because he's good. We trust him. What that is? You know what that is to be able to say? Where did they get that confidence from walking with this God regularly and together Daniel, years later, another similar scenario with a different kingdom and a different king. 
where he was, the king was tricked into circumstances, and they said, if anybody prays to any other person but the king, you're going to be thrown into the lion's den and be eaten alive by lions. Now David, I'm sorry, not David, Daniel is an old man at this point. Daniel's an old man. Here we met him, he's pretty, probably a young adult by now. Later on, now he's an old man. And he didn't care. He went and prayed anyways. He was taken, thrown into that den. And they woke up the next day, and dude, had, dude was just sleeping with all them lions. You know how must how comfy that must have been, bro? To be sitting back on a lion, just you know, with that pillow, with that mane right there. Oh my gosh, that was Daniel. God say, God rescued him. That he rescued his friends. God was the whole book of Daniel shows the faithfulness of God. Here in this moment that we read, showed the faithfulness of God. When you go to God, He is right there. He is right there. You, when you go to him, he is right there. The Daniel wrote this entire book, which goes from the exile, from they were taken away from their homeland. And you know how the book of Daniel ends? God fulfilling his promise. Because he said, after 70 years, you're going to get to go back home. At the end of the book of Daniel, it was 70 years. And the people got to go back home. Promise fulfilled. And Daniel wrote this book so the people of Israel can remember. Because how? why did they, why were they enslaved to begin with? Their unfaithfulness. And so what did Daniel write in his whole book? Example after example of God's faithfulness and how to be faithful. Because Daniel and his friends were faithful in hostile environments. They were faithful in hostile environments. And we see through them how, how we can be faithful in hostile environments. Listen, some of y'all... Some of y'all got some places. Some of your hostile environments may be school. Right now it's the summer, maybe y'all some in college. That's a hostile environment for those, if you believe in the faith and you believe in Christ, you go to public school, any school, man. Look, I went to a Christian school. Things went down at the Christian school, okay? Things go down at Christian schools, just so you know. Listen, school is a hostile environment to live your life, to live your faith. Your job, some of y'all got jobs, it's a hostile environment to live, to live out your faith. Some of you, your homes are hostile environments. It's hard to live out your faith. It's anywhere, man. We live in the world. This is what it is, okay? You don't got to look for the fight. The fight's going to come looking for you every day, right? It just, that's, that's the reality of it. But we see in these three, we see in these four how to remain faithful, and we are reminded once again of a faithful God. We're reminded of a faithful God. And so here's the thing. When we look at all of this, Get us out of the, not only in this story, but out of all the apocalyptic books, we have been given and we are seeing God is pulling back and unveiling a secret. The secret to how to live a powerful and spirit-filled life 24-7 all the time. And I'm going to share that with you today. I'm not going to keep that any hidden. We're just going to let you know. Here's, you need three things to have to live out your faith in a powerful and spiritual way. Here's what you need. You need the scriptures. That's why we're talking about the series. You need the spirit and you need the saints. Those three things. To live out your faith in a faithful way, you need three things. You need, the spirit, you need the scriptures, which is why we've been doing this series, binge reading the Bible, encouraging you. That's the biggest application. At the end of this series, if you are reading the Bible more than you were at the beginning, success on my part. That's my goal. That you guys are reading it regularly, letting the words of God with every sentence fill your soul. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. But you need the scriptures it is so important. This is why the enemy tackles and does so much to get us to not trust it, to get us to think differently of it. You know what D.L. Moody says, this great Christian back in the day? He had this quote and says, this book will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. 
It's crazy. This book will keep you from sin. The more, and again, it's not knowledge info, yo. It is this connecting with God. The more you can, and this is so important, so important. The more you fill up your soul with the word of God, you believe, this is truth. You can't fight a lie if you don't know the truth. And here's the thing, sometimes lies feel good. Sometimes the lie feels right. It feels right. It feels good. And if it feels right and it feels good, then it must be true. It's not. You can't tell the counterfeit unless you know the real thing. You can't. And this is why you need the scriptures in your life. And the more you do, because again, the sin, why does the enemy want us to keep us from this? Because he knows. He knows that this is the word of God himself. And when God speaks, things happen. When he spoke at the very beginning, it's God speaking. Things, every time God spoke, something happened. When God speaks, something happens. If you are a God, I want you to talk to me. God, speak to me. I need to hear your voice. Read the Bible out loud. All right, I know that's cheap. I know that's a cheap way to do it, but that's technically it. It's his words. Read the Bible out loud to yourself. Let him hear yourself. Let you hear yourself talk. That's him. So you need the scriptures, but you know what else you need is the spirit of God. You need the spirit of God in you to do what only what you can't do. This is the breath of life of God in you. And so it's not a coincidence that the enemy will get us to think things like, well, the spirit is something like a force, like if it's like Star Wars-ish. Or, or we get nervous about what is the spirit, and we think it's weird, or we think it's that. All these conceptions about what the spirit is, but then we start to only think that the spirit is a what? It's a thing, but it's not. It's God. The spirit has a name. It's God. It is the spirit of God. And when this breath of life enters your soul, the enemy knows. The enemy knows. You are called, us as believers, Paul in his letters would say, walk in the spirit, not in your flesh. Walk in the new self that you have in the spirit, not in the flesh. So the enemy will get us to do whatever it takes to walk in the flesh, to walk in the opposite of God, to walk in sexual immorality or to carry burdens or to believe the lies or to do so many other things that get when it, because here's the thing, if you feed your flesh, your flesh is going to starve your spirit. If you flee, if you feed your flesh, you're going to starve your spirit. But when you feed your spirit, yo, your flesh can't, that's, that's a fight that the flesh ain't never going to win. And so we need these three things. We need the scriptures. We need the spirit. But you know what also needs? You need the saints. All right, I want you to put your neighbor, put your hands on somebody, put it on your shoulders. Like, yo, we need the saints. I need you. All right, look, I need you. Put your hand on somebody. Say, like, yo, I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you. All right, put your hands down because I guarantee you somebody put, didn't put deodorant on this morning. So I'm going to save some of y'all. <laughs> somebody, I guarantee you didn't put deodorant on. So it's okay. There you go. Just enough. Listen, we need the saints. We need one another. We need one another. This is God, Jesus gave us all of these gifts. We need the saints. Why? Why do we need the saints? Why do we need one another? So when one of us is down, you got many more to pick you back up. So we're not isolated. We're not left alone. You know what the enemy does? You know what the enemy tries to do with that, with the saints? He tries to isolate you from those. Listen, do you want to connect better to Christ? Connect with Christians. That's his body, guys. Listen, the church is the body of Christ. It is connected to him. When you are connected to Christians, it helps you to connect better to Christ. That's how it is. So the enemy will try to isolate you and pick you apart. Let you, just like, just like any of those, like any good old lion you've seen on the you know, National Geographic, right? Which ones do the lions go for? The straggling ones off in the back, all right? 
that he just waits for that one. Or they try to isolate one away from the pack because if they know if they try to go for the pack, pack going to show up. All right? They can't. The pack shows up. Pack shows up, so they need to find who's the one that's slick, who's the one that's falling. Ooh, that one, that one. Or they try to isolate, isolate you from. But the saints, listen, that's important. This is all needed, all needed. And you know what's interesting? You need all these three things to live out your faith. And you know, the faith that we've got, we always associate faith with fire. Guess what? Do you know that you need three things to have fire burn? Three things. Check it out. You need fuel, oxygen, and heat. For fire to burn after you have the initial combustion. All right, let me get, I got some combustion here. Hold on a second. Let me see. Mateo, can you help me, dude? Mateo, can you help me? I can do this while I'm going to put it right in here. Turn that over. Turn that over. All right, so we're going to get the. Okay, it doesn't slide. There we go. Hopefully, I can see that well enough. And we're good. All right, here, can you do the, do the combustion for me? Yellow team, where are the flames at? Where are the flames at? I don't think he's, no, I'm just kidding. All right, if y'all don't know, that was one of the camp teams. There were the flames. All right, there it is. All right, so when combustion happens, right? Are you struggling, dude? <laughs> Let me see. What happened? Hey, got him. All right, it's okay. I got you, bro. I think that's a grown man's strength. No, man. <laughs> okay, I'm good. Thank you. All right, give it up for Mateo. Thank you so much. Uh, walk of shame. <laughs> All right, listen, All right, y'all see it? Can y'all see it? Okay, there's combustion. Can y'all see the flame? Okay, that's combustion. That's combustion. Now, for fire to remain burning, you need three things. You need fuel, you need oxygen, and you need heat. You need all three things. So right now, in this flame, what's my fuel? It's the wick, right? It's what is burning. The, the fire is consuming. Still a little bit more? Better? More? Oh, can y'all not see the flame still? Okay, there it is. All right, y'all can see? Y'all get it. Y'all know what fire looks like. Okay, here we go. So the fire, for fire to burn, for fire to burn, it needs those three things. After combustion, you need fuel. In this case, the fuel is the wick. The fuel is the wick. And other fire, campfires, what's the fuel? Okay, the wood, right? Coal, barbecue, those, whatever. Whatever else is burning, you need fuel. Now, without the fuel, what's going to happen? It's going to die out at some point. You need fuel. Well, what's the other thing? It was uh, oxygen. Right now, the oxygen in the room is helping to feed this fire. The oxygen is, fee is feeding this fire right now. And then what's the other thing? Heat. Heat. You need this. Obviously, fire has heat, but there's also the external environment, right? This is a certain amount of heat that is being produced. Now, all three things are needed for fire to burn, but you know what happens? You take away one of those things, fire goes out. Fire needs all three, but you remove only one, fire goes out. Right now it's burning. You can kind of see a little bit. Uh, guess what happens when the fire gets to the end of the wick? What's going to happen to the fire? It's going to go out. You got oxygen still in the air. It's still hot, but when there's no fuel, what happens to the fire? It's going to burn out. What happens... What happens if, on well, the temperature, right, if, if we probably dropped it cold enough, maybe the fire would struggle to really burn. But this is going to be a little hard. Let me see if you can see it. Even the oxygen. Let me get a little closer. What happens if I cut off the oxygen? Now, is there still enough fuel? Did you guys see that? OK. 
Okay, there's still fuel, right? There's still wick there. There's, is there not heat still? Yes. But I took, I took out the oxygen and what happened? Fire burned out. It died. It slowly choked to death. Well, listen, I put all those things up there for a reason because I want you to see this. In the same way that we need, we need these three things for our faith and we need these th three things for fire. Listen, we need all of that. For the scriptures, the spirit, and the saints are what fuel the fire of our faith. You remove, if the enemy can get you to remove one of those three things, you can lose your fire faster than you think. Only one. Please listen. You can lose your fire faster than you think. And the enemy doesn't have to go all in the above. He only needs to get you one. One. If he can separate you from God's word, your fire is going to start dying out. If he can separate you from the fuel, because the word, the scriptures is the fuel. If he can cut off the fuel source right here, if he can cut off the fuel source, your fire is going to start slowly, slowly dying. If he can cut you off from the spirit, which is oxygen, it is the breath of life. If he can get you to walk in your flesh and not in the spirit, he cuts you off from the spirit's move. Your fire is going to start choking to death, slowly fading out like you just saw. Or worse, see the saints of the heat. Saints bring the heat. The heat of the warmth of the community. Without the heat, without that heat that comes in love and community, if, if he can get you, you can read the scriptures all day. You can read the scriptures 100%, know them up and down. You can have the spirit. But if you're running solo, it's going to be a little harder. If you ain't got nobody else and you ain't accountable to anybody. Now, see, we need each other. All three things, the scriptures, the spirit, and the saints. You need all three things. And the enemy only needs to take away one. He needs you just to sleep on one of them. That's it. But I want you guys to know that this, all those three things, you can honestly sum them up in one. You ready? I want you to say this word with me. Say love. Say it again, man. Love. Listen, we read the scriptures not because we have to. We read the scriptures of God because of God's love towards us and our love for him. We read the scriptures from a place of love. We don't obey the spirit and resist the flesh. Because we have to, because we want to, because the spirit, because the spirit of God that, revives, that resides in us is the spirit of love. And we just want to walk in that love and walk in that light more and more and more. Why should we connect with the saints? Why should we gather together on Sundays, on weeklies, on, on small groups, on events, on this and that? Why? Why call up each other, connect with one another? Why? Because we have to, because we're supposed to? No, it ought to be because we truly love one another. When that love is present, that love of God is what ignites that fire. That's, it's just all love. It's the love of God that keeps things burning. It's the love of God. And you need, if you add all those three elements, and they're all operating and working together, fire's going to get hot. Okay, fire's going to get hot. Super hot. And listen, Jesus gave us all three things. With his life, death, and resurrection, he gave us all those three things. Because of the resurrection, we have the word of God preserved. We have the word of God because of he validated all that had been said and so much more. We have the gift of the scriptures because of what Jesus did for us. And because Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, now he says, I have a gift to give you. It's called the spirit of God. And, and you receive the spirit. When you believe in receiving Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you actually receive the spirit. And now it's just learning to walk more in that spirit, the one that resides in, in you. 
And he gives us this gift so you are not alone. God is always with. He's not just with you. He's a part of you. He's infused, man. He is you and you are him together. One. And then he gives us the gift. Paul talks about this in Ephesians. The apostles, the prophets, the teachers, the preachers. You know, all those, the saints, the brothers, the community, he puts us together. He gave us the gift of the church. So be careful about what what is your opinion about the scriptures? What is your opinion about the spirit? What is your opinion about the church? Because, again, if the enemy can get you to just disconnect you from one of those, you're going to lose that fire faster than you think. But see, again, but when all three are in operation, when we're walking together, man, imagine, imagine, Imagine how hot that fire would be if you would just make space for all three. That's that, my application for you is this. You got to make space for all three in your life. Make space for the scriptures in your life. Make space by following and listening to the spirit. Make, make space for community, for the saints and interacting with one another, encouraging one another, loving one another. Make space. Imagine how hot that fire can be if you made space and made time to regularly apply all three. That's what happens. You know what would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. It's super easy. We don't have to guess it. The Lord would set a blaze in your heart, in your soul, that would ignite your families and in your communities in such a way that it would torch the work of darkness as the white hot light of the love of God is revealed to you and through you. 